Welcome back to Men in Balance. I'm Jerry Hancock. We're talking to Lib McGregor Simmons from Davidson College at Presbyterian Church. Thank you, Lib, for joining us. Um, I want to talk about spiritual development uh, in a minute, but first I want to talk about the most recent incident in your life, and that was uh, the liver transplant of your husband, Gary. Uh, we've talked to him separately on Men in Balance Radio, and he's, uh, there's a great article about him, of course, in the paper. But I want to hear from you uh, a little bit about how uh, your life was going during all that time, because I know that was quite an upheaval. So take us back to when you first learned that he was going to need a transplant and maybe forward from there. Okay. Well, we were new in this community, and I was new as pastor of this church at the time that he was diagnosed. We hadn't lived here. We had lived here about six months mm. when he became ill. And um, so, you know, that was, that was interesting. And the other part was that my predecessor, Alan Brindisi, had died of liver cancer. And so you put these two things together and you realize that, uh, you know, how, how you think ministry is going to be, uh, you know, God's always doing some interesting yeah. things uh, in the midst of all of that. It's very different once you get on the ground. Isn't Absolutely. It? <laughs> well, it is. And uh, but, you know, I've been I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, right. I was ordained in 1979. Um, and uh, so I, I would say at first, you know, there there's the tension of how 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 does one present a challenge like this in one's personal life as a, as a minister, really? um, because um, you're very conscious that you're the pastor. You're you've been called here really to care for other people, and at the same time you don't want to close the door. You you know that there's growth in mm -hmm. receiving yeah. uh, support and that kind of thing. But uh, you know I, I was very conscious that this church had gone through recent grief as well, and so when you have a public um, role, you have to always be prayerfully thinking to what degree do I, I open, open up personal life right. to that. But I, I would have to say that the Holy Spirit provides the way to do that. Um, and uh, so along the way, I have been encouraged by the leadership, the lay leadership here. And um, uh, then we've had the the staff that who are here have been supportive and so you know it's been quite a spiritual journey for us of both receiving the care from the congregation and the broader community so as Gary's um, situation deteriorated uh, there was a time when you weren't even sure he was going to survive right well absolutely yeah absolutely yes and, and I mean I didn't uh, there there came a time uh, close to the time that he was transplanted that I really doubted right. uh, that he would receive the transplant in time. Yeah, and I think you were quoted as saying that it's possible that the next funeral in your church may be his. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things about the work that I do is that the longer that you're in a church, whenever you lead a funeral and a memorial service, and you always, I always feel that that's, um, you know, a very powerful time for a pastor because you're um, looking into the eyes of people who are grieving, but at the same time, you're looking into the eyes of the last person who was sitting on the front row and is reliving that grief of that recent uh, loss. Mm -hmm. And you know, we just because we're ministers, we get to walk this 
journey. We get to into into we're invited into intimate times right. in people's lives, not because of who we are, but just because of the role that we have here and because the spirit gives us that entree. So we are we're grateful to to do that. But you know, it it's not an un I'm often thinking about the people who sit on the front row yeah. as they move to the second and the third row. I'm often thinking about that. Yes. And so I kind of put myself there. Wow. <laughs> what is been... what it looks like, you know, I'm going to be on the front row next next time. That must have been tough. I mean, just no doubt about it. This... It was uh um yes, it was tough, but I see people go through death and find joy in life again. So it wasn't without hope. Right, but but there are times when the pastor needs a pastor, right? I'm uh, surrounded by lots of those. Yeah, right. I have, uh, gosh, I'm blessed that way. I've never, I've never lacked mm. for pastors in my life. That's, never. That's great. Well, uh, as it turned out, uh, he did get a transplant. Things are great, and he looks great. Yes, uh, he so, does. Yes, he does. So, we so, are gr- very grateful. Yes. Yeah, so what a what a Easter story for sure. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, spiritual development. As you know, Men in Balance is concerned primarily with spiritual development in men, uh, although I want to talk about it from a more general perspective first. Um, so I, I guess one of my questions is when someone comes to you and is in the frame of mind to do some spiritual work, um, what do you normally see in them, and then how do you how do you decide where to send them next or where to, how to go next with them? Um, hmm, I don't know. Uh, that's a great question. I, would, I, I don't think I've ever asked that question. I, you know, I try to be a sensitive listener and to see and to ask a lot of questions if right. I don't know the person. A lot of people I know already. Yeah, I mean, that's, right, that's right, the right. nature of being a pastor. You, you kind of work within a community of faith of right. people that you have some idea. You know, but I would say one of the things that I would always say is that it has to be done in community with other people. I mean, to me, there's no such thing as a vertical relationship of you and God. Mm-hmm. And I do think people's, you know, personalities and their, their makeup, their experiences, um, you know, they're different kinds of spiritual practices right. that work for some people that don't work for other right. people. But I would always say that especially in the United States of America, where we're such individualist, <laughs> that that is not the biblical message. The mm-hmm. biblical message is about community. It's about, in the New Testament, it's about church. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, it's about, I mean, what we call the Old Testament as Christians. It's what, uh, it's the people of mm-hmm. Israel who are in community. And so... That's always where I point people. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be done in, con- in connection with other people. That's, I think that's an yes. important note. Yeah. I would say one thing you know, I said in my sermon on Easter Sunday is I want to give an enthusiastic shout out to organized religion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, um, uh, yeah, and I recognize that uh, organized religions fomented a lot of terrible mischief on the world and wounded a lot of people mm-hmm. and can sometimes seem very irrelevant. Mm-hmm in this current day world, but organized religion is also the group that organizes prayers for people who are in need, who organizes working at the Mooresville Soup Kitchen and setting up beds in our congregation house for uh, 
room in the inn mm-hmm. as you know lots of churches on the metropolitan area of charlotte all of these things teaching the stories of jesus which i think are the stories that that say uh, there aren't any people who are worth more or not worth more in this in the world mm-hmm. god loves everybody and we're called to be a part of each other. So all those things are things that organized religion does. So yeah. I, I point people toward an organized community. That's that's good to know too. Uh, you mentioned that religion has, in some cases, done harm to people. And I run into a lot of men who have been away from the church for some period of time in their life because of a negative experience they had with the church years ago. Um, any particular thoughts on how to reach those folks and Get them to take a second look? Um, oh, I just say, come take a second look. Mm. Come uh, come work in the Mooresville Soup Kitchen with us. Mm. Come build a Habitat house. Get to know people who, for whom there's a redemptive experience. Come to a c- community where every question is great and you are never judged for mm. asking any question or... You can come where you, as you are, yeah. and and you will be received and accepted for that. Hmm. So, so you would encourage a man to come with his doubts and to surface those doubts uh, in the church. Right? Absolutely, yeah. and I I think it's incumbent upon the church to offer settings where that becomes more inviting yeah. for everybody. I mean, and. That would include men. I mean, we have, you know, we have some groups here that we've tried. I mean, we have a Bible study that meets on Tuesday morning that has become quite a community for each other. They call themselves now the Band of Brothers. They're an old, mostly older group, mostly retired people. And then we have a group where it's mostly younger uh, men. I mean, I say younger. I'm talking about people who are raising families um, Uh that meet on Friday morning. And we have a career transition group that we Mm -hmm. do with, that we're now merging with the United Methodist Church and, you know, to help people. I mean, that's for men and women, but, you know, as you make job transitions or as you lose a job, that's another, another aspect of things. And so retreats, those kinds of things, I think, are things that break down the barriers and just make it possible for people um, to be in relationship with each other. One of the questions I've asked a lot of people that I've talked to, it still puzzles me a little bit, is that women seem to be so ready to connect with each other and support each other and that sort of thing, and, and it just happens naturally. Men, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> and so do you have any suggestions to get men to reach out to each other and be supportive as women are to each other? Well, that's something we're constantly talking about around here. And, you know, I don't want to make blanket statements sure. about men and right, we- men right. or women because, um, you know, I experience a spectrum of, mm-hmm. of uh, how people approach life. I mean, it's hard to get women together, too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, uh, and I think, so you have to find, people... Now, in this day and time, making connections and making connections. You know, one thing I think is so important is making connections across generational lines. Mm-hmm. We, we segregate so much 
by age these days. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another thing that we're constantly trying to work on so yeah. that people can just tell their stories to each other and share that. Um, unrelated topic, I guess, in a way, is uh, I'm sure you get your share of couples who come in here with some marriage difficulties and wanting some advice on that. Do you find um, a spiritual need driving much of that, or is that... Well, I think everything is comes back to a spiritual right. base. Everything. Um, you know, I, people can get... But, but, you know, we're so... We aren't very connected mm -hmm. in, our, in our world today, and there's a lot that puts, puts barriers between us. And so, for instance, I mean, I think generationally, if we had more relationships intergenerationally, that would give younger couples who are going through really trying times with their kids, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of the wherewithal to have some hope mm -hmm. for... You know, well, we have this saying, you know, with the Trevor Project, it gets better. Yeah, <laughs> well, right. it gets better, right. you know, yeah. and a friend of mine likes to say, well, you know, when you get to be the empty nester stage, which my husband and I are in now, you know, that's kind of your payoff yeah. for all those other years. <laughs> <clears throat> well, and, and it's also true, I think, that the folks who could serve as mentors find that a valuable uh, absolutely. experience for yes, them, too. Absolutely. I mean, I'll just tell you a little story that... Um, in my former church in San Antonio, there was a couple, and there were probably, it was probably about 10 or 15 years difference in the ages of these two couples. And they were having some, you know, travails with their teenage kids. And so what they thought was, now, how can we deal with this? Well, they actually called up and went to visit this older couple because they knew that they had gone through some trying times mm -hmm. with their even worse, I mean, you know, things related to drugs and all of that. And they went to this older couple and they sat down and talked and they said, how did you survive this? And this older couple said, well, you know, what really ch changed our relationship with our child and, and helped us get through it was that we, somebody told us that what, help, what was helpful was to look at their child with the same kind of regard as they would the children of their best friends. Mm. Now, does that make sense? Right. You know, and it gives, gave them a little bit of distance. Yep. And, you know, their own ego and their own parenting didn't get all wrapped up in that. It right. became not about them, but right. the children of their best friends, right. because they could always love the children of their best friends, you yeah, know. That's great. And, you know, I just thought, you know, that's the story being passed on from one person to another person generationally. And I mean, now I use it all the time to yeah. tell people um, because it's helpful. Well, it, it is all about community. And I find it ironic that in this age where we're all texting and uh, emailing each other that we're so disconnected still. Mm -hmm. uh, what's up with that? I mean, how do Well, we... you know, it is, it's interesting for me to look at my son's generation though. And he's 31 and, uh, you know, he, he, while it's technology, he in some ways has deeper relationships mm -hmm. and more continuing. I mean, he's kept up his relationships from high school and college mm -hmm. and all of those in a much better way than I have. And it's really because of that. And it's kind of like they pick up and, 
and he even told me yesterday that he took a day off from work and he said, you know, there are just some people that I need to be calling and talking to. Wow. And, and so he took the day off to get his car fixed and to do that. Yeah. But these were people that he's kept up with just through, you know, Facebook or I guess Facebook primarily. Yeah. And, you know, felt like he needed to spend a little more time with them. So in some ways we could actually use that to deepen our relationships mm -hmm. with others and create more community. Mm -hmm. And maybe the church needs to do more of that as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can't help but notice you've got a Donate Life button on and yes, I'm sure I that do. comes out of your recent Absolutely. experience. So let me give you two minutes to <laughs> get on the soapbox about donating. Okay, organs. all right. Uh, thank you, Jerry. I appreciate your doing that. Uh, yes, uh, we've, we found out through this journey that there's still a lot of misunderstanding about organ donation. And the biggest uh, question, I mean, the, the most frequent question, or it's not even a question, it's a statement that's been said to me is, oh, well, they would never want my organ because I'm too old. Mm. And I want to say that is not true, <laughs> that uh, there are donors, you're never too young, you're never too old. Infants have been donors, so mm. we have 90-year-olds. Um, for instance, the liver, I found out just yesterday, does not age. Uh, and wow. uh, so if, you have li if you're 75 and have been healthy, then probably your, your liver is going to be useful to somebody should this terrible tragedy happen to you. So sign that donor card. You can get it on your license. You don't have to, you can just do it on your driver's license if you live in North Carolina or South Carolina and many other states. And um, then your family, tell your family, if they're, they're, that frees them up, mm -hmm. it frees you up for the medical caregivers to make the call on whether or not your organs would be helpful to somebody else. Well, there is, in spite of whatever efforts we may have made, there's still some uh, religious concerns about organ donation, aren't there? I mean, No, we... there are not. Um, some people may think there are, right. but there are no major religions in the world which, uh, d which prohibit uh, any kind of organ donation and um, and m most of them encourage it. Right. Well, that's good to know. It's good to, to uh, know that's something else we can do to connect with our fellow man, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lib, thanks so much for being with us. Lib McGregor Simmons from Davidson College Presbyterian Church. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Jerry. You're listening to Men in Balance Radio.